Hi, I'm Jonathan Edwards, and I want to welcome you to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast. My goal in this podcast is to teach the truth of the Word of God and apply it to our lives that our orthopraxy might be as good as our orthodoxy. May you be blessed. Well, as you can probably guess, based on the title of this particular episode, The Doctrine of Money, Part 1, I'm going to begin a three-part mini-series on what the Bible says about money and the use of money and how we as believers ought to think about money. And that's why I chose the word doctrine. Doctrines are those essential and foundational truths that we glean from the Word of God, and something becomes a doctrine when it is discussed so often throughout the Bible that it is unmistakable that God has a clear perception of what that topic is, and that there is also a clear direction that God gives about that particular topic or that particular subject. So we have the doctrine of the virgin birth. We have the doctrine of election. We have the doctrine of redemption. We have the doctrine of justification and sanctification. These are all themes that are important to God, and they're so important in God's revelation that they are discussed multiple times by multiple authors over literally the course of thousands of years. And so there is a doctrine of money as found in the Bible, and I, I certainly don't pretend to be an authority or an expert on all that the Bible has to say about money. But I do know this, if the Bible talks so frequently about money, often in the book of Proverbs, and money also was one of the primary illustrations that Jesus used when he did his teaching ministry throughout the gospel, it is obvious from just a cursory reading of Scripture that all people are concerned about money and that God is also concerned about money. So, is money inherently good? Inherently evil? Is it neutral? What is it? Well, let's take a look at the Word of God and see what it has to say about the doctrine of money. And I want to begin today's podcast by talking about this idea of stewardship. You know, I think that the idea of stewardship has really come to the forefront of the Christian consciousness in the last 20 to 30 years. We talk about biblical financial stewardship. We talk about money stewardship. What is a stewardship? I think that's really the place to start. What is a stewardship? This idea of steward, or it's also translated, the Greek word is also translated manager, in the New Testament, the idea of a steward or a manager is that this is one who is in charge of running a household. So he would be the second or third in command in a household, responsible for carrying out all the daily tasks of the household. He would be responsible for making sure that 
the appropriate chores were done, uh, that monies that were coming in and monies that were going out were being distributed correctly, that the servants were being paid fairly, that there was enough food, that it was being distributed fairly, et cetera, et cetera. You get the idea. The, the best example of a manager or a steward in the entire Bible is the person, Joseph. You guys know the story of Joseph. He was the favorite son of his father, Jacob. He had some dreams that were given to him by God, and in these dreams, he saw his 11 brothers bowing down before him, and they were very jealous about this. And another dream he had, he saw not only the 11 brothers, uh, but the sun and the moon uh, images of his mother and father, they also were bowing down to him. And so his brothers thought that he was somewhat crazy for thinking that he would be the ruler over not only all 11 of his other siblings, but also the ruler over his mom and his dad. And if you're familiar with this story in the Old Testament, you know that his brothers, because of their jealousy, initially wanted to kill him, but Reuben persuaded them not to. And because they didn't kill him, they decided to do the next best thing to get him out of their lives. They decided to sell him into slavery. And Joseph wound up in Egypt, sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar. And it was there that Joseph proved himself to be a very capable manager of Potiphar's household. He managed Potiphar's other servants. He managed Potiphar's monies that were coming in and going out. He took care of all the tasks. He oversaw all the household very well. And the Bible says that Joseph was a handsome man, and Potiphar's wife noticed this and noticed his skill, and she wanted to sleep with him. And he refused. He said, your master, your husband, Potiphar, has given me, given me charge over everything in his house, except for you, because you're his wife. How far be it from me? How dare I violate the trust of the stewardship by taking you when it is not appropriate to do that? Because she desired him anyways, she came upon him one day when nobody else was in the house, and Joseph, desiring to be righteous and to honor God, fled the house but left his cloak behind. And if you know the story, you know what happened next. She made up a lie. Joseph ended up in jail, and he was in prison for two years until Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had a dream, and he could not find anybody in his kingdom to properly interpret the dream. Well, another one of Pharaoh's servants had been in prison. He remembered Joseph, and he told Pharaoh about Joseph, and Joseph interpreted the dream through God's providence and God's divine enablement. And Pharaoh raised Joseph up to become the manager or the steward over the entire land of Egypt. That picture of Joseph really gives us an idea of what a steward or a manager does. They control possessions, and they have a responsibility to make decisions and to execute instructions so that things go well with the house. 
in order for the house to be profitable. Now, there is one particular parable in the New Testament that Jesus gives that, that probably helps enlighten our understanding of what a steward or a manager does. That's found in Luke chapter 16. And Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he's giving them this particular parable. And he says to them in Luke chapter 16, there was a rich man who had a manager, and this manager was reported to him as squandering his possessions. So the rich man called to the manager and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give an accounting of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager was fearful. He said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I will do, so that when I am removed from the management, people will welcome me into their homes. So what he did, beginning in verse 5, is he summoned every person who was a debtor to his master. And he began to say to them, How much do you owe my master? And so the first person said, a hundred measures of oil. And the manager said, take your bill, sit down quickly and write 50. What did he do? Well, he relieved half of the debt, but he collected the other half. So the person who was a debtor benefited and the person who was the overseer of this manager also benefited. Then he said to another person who was owed his master, how much do you owe? That guy says, a hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, take your bill and write 80. And his master praised the unrighteous manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the sons of this age are more shrewd in relation to their own kind than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourself by means of the wealth of unrighteousness so that when it fails, they will receive you into eternal dwellings. He who is faithful in a very little thing is faithful also in much, and he who is unrighteous in a very little thing is also unrighteous in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, and here's the key, if you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, Who will entrust the true riches to you? And if you have not been faithful in the use of that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. What is the overarching point that Jesus is making here? He's obviously pointing out the wisdom or the shrewdness, as he calls it, of the unrighteous manager to settle the debts for the benefit of both his master and for his own personal benefit when he loses his job. That's really not the takeaway for believers, though. The takeaway is this. You really shouldn't get yourself in that situation. You should prove, you should prove to be a faithful manager of all that you have. And the way that you handle unrighteous wealth, now this is just everyday money. This is, Jesus is using this term unrighteous wealth not to say that money in and of itself is bad or that it's 
sinful to be rich. He's not making that point. He's making the point that wealth is a temporary reality. Money is a temporary commodity. See, it's unrighteous because it's, it's not of the kingdom to come. It's of the present kingdom. All right? Understand that. Money is unrighteous in this particular context because it's of the present kingdom, the kingdom that's under the curse of sin. It's not something that's of the future kingdom. But Jesus' main point to the disciples is this, verse 11. If you have not been faithful in the use of unrighteous wealth, who will entrust the true riches to you? You see, there is a strong connection between how you view money, how you spend money, the faithfulness that you demonstrate when you get money, and how you will treat the spiritual gift that you've been given to practice in the local church. And Jesus is saying, look, if you've not been faithful in the use of what is somebody else's, who will give you something of your very own? This unrighteous steward didn't deserve to have his very own. And Jesus is saying, look, what you have, the money of this world, really it's not your own. I mean, you have it, but it's not your own. It's not eternal. So if you're not even faithful with that which is not eternal, how can you expect greater riches? How can you expect riches that are eternal? How can you expect God to give you gifts, abilities, insight that is of his kingdom, the eternal kingdom, if you haven't even been faithful to do with unrighteous wealth, what you know you ought to do. Now, this isn't to say that if you prove yourself to be extraordinarily faithful with money and with money management, that God is going to all of a sudden bestow upon you some type of spiritual gift that you didn't previously have. That's not exactly the connection. I understand you could take it that way, but that's not the connection. The connection is why would God elevate you to a position of authority or account of management within his church if you haven't proven faithful with that which is unrighteous? Would he put souls in your care if you can't be careful to manage money? See, I think that's the real connection. Would God entrust souls to your care if you can't be careful in your use of money? And we know this to be true because when you look at what are the qualifications to be an elder, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, listen to what Paul writes here. An elder Somebody who wants to be an overseer of the church of God must be, first of all, above reproach. That has to do with your either love of money or, or lack thereof or how you manage money. If you have a bad reputation in the community because you're, not, you're somebody who doesn't pay your debts or you run up bills that you can't pay or whatever, that's a disqualifier 
for being an overseer in the church of God. So above reproach is like the generalized category. But continue reading down the list of attributes or qualifications of an elder and look at what it says. Verse 3, you are free from the love of money. So you're not interested in being an elder to pursue money. The love of money doesn't have a hold of your heart. The love of money is not the primary purpose of your existence. You're not trying to see how much you can get. Furthermore, verse 4, he must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. So here we have our word, right? Steward, manager. An elder must be one who is a good manager of his household. And Paul specifically points out in the area of child rearing, but this idea of managing your old household well includes you're not running a household that's in the red all the time. You're a good manager of what God has given you to manage. And look at the spiritual connection that Paul makes. Paul understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. 1 Timothy 3, 5. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? So here you have Paul using this idea of stewardship, Jesus using this idea of stewardship, and both of them are saying, if you can't be a good manager of unrighteous wealth, if you can't manage money, which is temporal, if you can't do that well, then how can you be entrusted to manage and care for the souls that God will entrust to you as an overseer of the church? See, that's one of the primary jobs of an overseer, to care for the souls of the flock. In fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, encourages the saints to obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Well, first of all, it's so that you can follow God's understanding, God's prescription, God's ordained method of authority. We know that God is the one who ordains authorities, and all authorities come from him. And he says in the church, it's the leaders, the overseers, the pastors who have the authority. But the second reason why the author of Hebrews wrote that is this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your soul. They've been entrusted with a great responsibility. Now, you go back and think about Jesus' concluding statement here in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Here again, we have the connection between the management and the service to the temporal versus the management and the service to that which is eternal. Why can't you serve God and wealth? Because there are disinterested in one another. That which is temporal, wealth, doesn't care anything about that which is eternal, God. 
Now, God does care about temporal wealth, and God gives it to us so that we can use it for righteous purposes. But a man in his own heart cannot be divided in who he will serve, for he will be a poor servant to either. He'll not do very well at making the money that is unrighteous, that belongs to this temporal age, nor will he be a good and faithful servant useful in the church of God. So as we begin to look at this idea of the doctrine of money, it's important that we wrap our minds around this concept of stewardship and define it carefully and say, you know what? A steward is somebody who oversees something else. A steward oversees somebody else's thing, recognizing that it's not his own and that he's been entrusted to care for it. But based on that very definition and understanding of steward, one ought to realize that the steward is caring for someone else's thing, somebody else's stuff, and therefore should not set their own heart on that which is somebody else's. The steward cannot begin to think that what they manage is their own. They have to look at what they manage as someone else's and then make decisions based on what that individual would want, what would benefit that individual the most. And I think when you begin to understand this reality, that stewards care for somebody else's stuff, you can begin to see why Christianity in general has come to use this idea of stewardship to talk about how we manage wealth, how we manage money. And that really makes a lot of sense, right? Because the Bible clearly indicates that God, as the creator of the universe, the creator of mankind, the creator of all that we see, all that we can touch and feel and sense, God is really the owner of everything. And when you look at Genesis chapter 1 and see that God put Adam in the garden with Eve, and he said, you are to exercise authority Over all of this, God's original intention was that we would be stewards, caretakers of that which belonged to God. So when we talk about money, right, when we're thinking about how we spend money, whether it's, you know, I'm going out to buy an ice cream cone or I'm going out to buy a car, we really ought to be thinking in our mind, I'm just the manager of this money. I'm the manager. God is the owner. God's the one who provided it for me. God is the one who I'm entrusting myself to, that he will take care of me. God is all of those things, and here I am, just the manager of it. And that ought to inform our decision-making process. When we think about God as the manager, when we look at our resources as those resources which God has given us to manage, it ought to make us think about them in a different way. We ought to be much more conscientious of what we spend our money on. 
how we choose to give. Are the things that I'm doing with my money consistent with what God's Word says I should be doing with my money? But see, we don't live in a culture that promotes that type of thinking. Not even our Christian culture promotes that type of thinking. In all frankness, the Christian culture promotes consumerism of Christian goods as much as the American culture promotes the consumerism of whatever American goods are being produced. I don't just mean American goods, but goods that are available to America, Americans. That's what we're talking about here. How do I think about and then use my money? Am I doing it with a consumer's mindset or with the mindset of a steward? You see, a steward considers many different factors, tries to think through all the possible ramifications of how they spend their money or their resources. The steward is looking not only at the short-term benefits, but the long-term benefits. The steward is evaluating patterns, habits, different ways of management, trying to improve, trying to make the right investments. And this isn't to say that if you're going to be a faithful Christian and a faithful steward, that you have to all of a sudden sit down with the New York Stock Exchange and understand how stocks work, or go take an accounting class, or learn all the ins and outs of the various different monetary theories that are floating around. No, you don't have to do that. In fact, that's why we're calling this the doctrine of money, because in God's Word, He has given us specific uses for money and specific warnings about the use of money and about the love of money. So to briefly sum up, what is a steward? A steward is an overseer, one who cares for that which is not his own. And each of us are stewards, whether we want to be or not. For as I already mentioned in Genesis chapter 1, God gave the commission to Adam, and we are part of Adam's seed, we are Adam's race. Exercise authority over the creation. That includes the whole animal kingdom. That includes the financial aspects. That includes caring for the environment. We are to be stewards because God has established us as stewards. So how are you doing in your stewardship? Are you executing it well? Or, like the man in Luke chapter 16, are you a poor manager, soon to be in trouble with the master? I want to thank you for listening to the Jed Breaks Bread podcast again. I'm Pastor Jonathan Edwards, and the podcast is produced by my good friend Stephen Lohr from S. Lohr Productions. You can check him out on Facebook. Our church is the Grace Brethren Chapel, www.gbchapel.org. Check us out on the web. If you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, please email them to me at the church email address, gracebrethrenchapel at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. May God bless you.